Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, this week we are looking at the attributes of God, and God's attributes are simply His characteristics. His attributes are who He is. We've been looking at the fourth question to the Shorter Catechism, um, and that first attribute that's listed there tells us that God is spirit. God is a spirit. So brothers, what does it mean for God to be a spirit? Sometimes I think, you know, in, in I've grown up in the church my whole life and we can use words and, and never define them and we can just assume what the implications of those things are without ever looking to the truth of what these things mean. So what does it mean for God to be a spirit, first of all? And then secondly, where do we find this in scripture? Hmm. Well, yeah, just the first thought that pops into mind when, when you ask, you know, what is the implication of the truth that God is spirit? Um, and then the, the negation there that God does not have a physical body as we do. The first implication for me is that God is not localized. Mm-hmm. I don't have to go somewhere to find him. Right. Um, all, all I need to do is stop. Yes. Uh, and, and, and God is present. Um, and... Uh, and of course, that's one of the other attributes from from the, the catechism that that God is infinite. Mm-hmm. Uh, that God, and that implies that God is God is everywhere present. I don't have to climb the the high mountain. Um, I don't have to go to uh, a particular temple or spot somewhere in order to worship Him because He's He's present right here with us, even as we speak and do this radio show. That's very very similar to what I was thinking. Is that he transcends the material? Yes, and and so everything in this universe is somehow limited by time and space, and by being the spirit, he is unlimited in those things, which leads to all the things yes. that you're talking about. Yes. Mm-hmm. He can be anywhere. He can know everything at the same time, right. which we we fail to understand, and it helps us to understand when we realize, oh, he's a spirit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he's a different kind of spirit than than the angels or the demons, because those those spirits are not omnipresent. Good point. Um, here's a definition that I came up with for God being a spirit. Being a spirit means that God does not have a body, as you guys have said. He is a pure being, invisible, everywhere present, filling both heaven and earth, and yet unable to be contained by them. Mm-hmm. So, as you said, Phil, he is here in the studio with us. If you're driving in your car, he's with you in your car, and that's one of the, of course, one of the precious truths of Psalm 139, that uh, God, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Okay, um, so let's handle some objections then to this idea of God being a spirit. You know, for those of you who are listening, 
one of the helpful things that doctors do in their practice is they do this thing called differential diagnosis, where as they're determining what disease you have, they're checking off the list what it is not. So they say, it's not this, it's not this, it's not this, it is this. So one of the ways that we can help make God's attributes clear is by telling you what they're not. Um, here's here's one of the objections against God being a spirit. So we live in an area, of course, that you know is largely populated by Latter-day Saints, and their doctrine of God is that he is not a spirit. Uh, on their website, we read this, the idea of God, quote, the idea of God as our parent is not allegorical. It is literal. Our mortal bodies are remarkable scientific wonders and works of art, widely diverse mortal bodies patterned uh, after his own glorified immortal body. God is a person with an exalted body, end quote. That's directly from the website. So brothers, what, what's the problem with this view of God? Well, it, it limits God to a body. And, 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 and so God who is without limit, then all of a sudden has boundaries and barriers and limitations. Um, it, it almost takes you right to the, the Greek uh, pantheon, right? Back to the, right. the Greek gods and, and how limited they were and, and how petty they were. And part of that is that they were, they, you know, could manifest in these bodies and, and, and take these things on or, or had some kind of a spiritual body. They had some kind of a, a location, mm-hmm. uh, Mount Olympus. Right. And, and so when, when, when we go there, then we place these limitations upon God that just simply aren't part of his nature. And so we take away all that ability to transcend uh, the things that are matter and the things that are physical. Mm-hmm. And so now we have a limited God. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And, and a limited God is not God at all. Right, right. Um, and of course, um, the, the first scripture that, that comes to mind is from Jesus himself. Remember in his conversation with the woman at the well in, in John chapter four, uh, he says, God is spirit. Right. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Uh, you can't get much more clear than that. Right. That God, and when, when Jesus says flatly, God is spirit. Um, he's not confined to the limitations, as Brett is saying. He's, he, he's not confined, thank God, to the limitations of a body. That's the, that's the classic theological error. You know, as somebody, some smart aleck once said that God created man in his own image, and we've been returning the favor ever since. <laughs> uh, we, we take ourselves and our own experience and write that large and say, well, that must be God. Well, no, that's idolatry. Uh, true knowledge of God is gained by receiving what God has revealed in his word. Yeah. There's also a sense in which that it, for God to have a body is almost nonsensical in terms of creation. Right. Because uh, we know that all created things by nature, by the, by the, the fact that they're made up of matter, um, are, are just that. They are created. And, and Hebrews 11 talks about this, that, that all things were created that were physical by something that was invisible. Mm-hmm, and right. so that first cause had to be invisible because everything material is, is by nature what it is, a yeah. created thing. So yes. it says in uh, Hebrews eleven three by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen, so you could take that to be physical, yeah. was not made out of things that are visible. Yeah. And that's the order of creation, yes. is that it makes sense that that everything had to come from something, and that that something was not like what became, yeah. which was material. Absolutely. So it, you know, the order of creation lends itself to the belief that there must have been a spiritual being. And I like, like what you said, Josh, you say the original 
unlike angels, yeah. he, he is the original. He is other than. He is mm-hmm. he is the best type of spirit there can be. Being there could be absolutely. And and to 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 jump on what you just quoted um, in First Timothy six sixteen. Paul tells us that the God of heaven, he dwells in unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see. Now, he, he, if we try to apply that scripture to the, the Mormon concept of God, what we're kind of left with is, is kind of the Wizard of Oz who hides behind the curtain that nobody can get access to. But that's not at all what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that no human eye can see the essence of God. He dwells in unapproachable light. And not only is it a historical fact that nobody has seen him, Paul is going further. He's saying nobody can see him. Nobody ever will see him. So I guess I would just say to maybe our Mormon friends who are listening, um, pick up the Bible. Um, compare the Bible with what your your teachers are, are telling you about who God is because what you'll find is that you actually have a quite different picture of what the Bible says about God as opposed to what um, the LDS church says about God. Okay, let's let's deal with another objection then um, to God being a spirit. Uh, if, here's the objection, if God doesn't have a body because he's spirit, then Jesus Christ cannot be God. So how do you deal with that objection? Well, we have to take Jesus at his word because as, as was just quoted from John, I believe John 6, or excuse me, John 4, uh, Jesus said, God is spirit. And since we talked about the Trinity, that, that Jesus is God and he fully manifests all of the attributes of God, then Jesus must be as well. So we let the scripture tell us at first exactly you know, how Jesus fits into this. So Jesus is fully spirit. And, and, and also then have to wrestle with the fact that Jesus took on flesh. Mm-hmm. And so somehow he can maintain that attribute while also having a physical body. And then later after he died and was resurrected, having that spiritual body, which he will live with for all eternity. That's right. And, and so there is, a, there is a tension there, a, a bit of a mystery there. But the one thing we do know is that though Jesus did take on a human body, he maintained that spiritual presence. Mm-hmm. He saw people under a tree. He knew what people were thinking. He was able to discern these things that only a spirit could understand if he was everywhere all at the same time. Yeah. He tells mm-hmm. us in the Great Commission that he'll be with us even until the end of the age, even though his physical body ascended into heaven. Yeah. Yeah, when uh, when the first chapter of John's Gospel tells us in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God, that's talking about a spiritual reality but then it gets to verse 14 and the word is is some of the most revolutionary words, Mm. perhaps the most revolutionary words ever written that the word became flesh and lived among us full of grace and truth. Uh, C.S. Lewis called the incarnation, the great miracle Mm. that uh, this thing that, that human life, human beings never could have anticipated or imagined that the eternal spirit, God, God, the eternal and infinite spirit, took on human flesh and was born among us as a helpless baby, um, experienced life every in every way as we do, except without sin. Um, of course, of course, this is a mystery that we don't pretend to be able to understand. But, but if someone is to object to say, well, God can't, God doesn't have a body, therefore Christ can't have a body. Once again, you're not listening to what the word teaches us. 
that that Jesus is God in the flesh. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as Brett pointed out a minute ago, that's an eternal that's an eternal reality that he has, he ascended back to heaven in the flesh and and remains in the flesh. However, mysteriously, that reality continues today. It does. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's and, and the incarnation doesn't tell us that God and man. Uh, joined together so that their substances were mixed together so that he's this third thing. Right. Now, the incarnation says that he is fully God, he retains all of his Godhood, and he's fully man, so he has two natures in one person. Right. And if we can understand they're not, is beside the point. Uh, yeah, yes. <laughs> okay, let's, let's deal with another objection to this idea of God being a spirit before we end for today. Uh, so here's another objection. Man, man is made in the image of God, therefore... Since we have a body, God must have a body. Well, I, I think that that draws too much of a connection between the creation and the creator. And, and, and so God was doing something, as Hebrews was saying, he was making something visible out of what was invisible. And so God was doing something. I mean, we could always ask the question, why did God not create us in a spiritual realm like he did the angels? Mm-hmm. But uh, there's no answer to that. He decided yeah. to to create matter, and he decided to create us. That's very good. Yes, yes, that's right. It's very good. And so, um, in that sense, you know, we can't we we, we got to make sure that we draw a distinction between the creation and the creator. That he is he was doing something different than himself mm-hmm. in that. And yet, he could say that we are created in his image. And and I take that to be that we're created in his image in our personhood yep. that we are people and we have all the attributes of, of being people mm-hmm. we use our bodies to fulfill that definition mm-hmm. uh, but I'm going to assume that that's to a lesser degree than God does because we, again he is the ultimate reality he is the ultimate best thing and, and, mm-hmm. and we're creations yep that's right well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life on the program we had with us, Brett Siegelkoff today. Thank you from Caldwell First Baptist Church. Thank you. And Phil Moran from Christ Prez. Yeah, good to be here. And uh, if you want to check us out, go to ReformationBoise.com. You can listen to past broadcasts or register for our upcoming conference in November. This has been the Gospel for Life. We'll see you next time.